Okay, the views and opinions expressed on this show are solely for entertainment purposes. These views and opinions do not reflect the views of our employers and are not intended for legal, diagnostic, or therapeutic purposes. So that was Victoria, and I am Chris, and we are Crime Therapy, the podcast. Um, One of the things I want to say before we get started today is you can listen to us on Apple, because we're finally there. And if you listen to us on Apple, honestly, if you listen to us anywhere, you should try to rate and review us and give us five stars. Hopefully you like us enough to give us five stars. Um, and also send us an email to crimetherapy at gmail.com. It's all one word and sign up for crime trivia. It's on October 3rd. We have stickers, magnets. We might have keychains. Um, to be determined. Whatever. It's going to be a fun night regardless of winning prizes. It's all true crime themed uh, trivia that Victoria and I have been coming up with. So, yes. yeah. So today is going to be our first episode with a guest and it is my BFF for like 20 plus years, uh, Nicole, Nikki. I'm going to call her Nikki the whole time, but I think as an adult, she goes by Nicole now. She is a fingerprint examiner. Um, Nikki, tell us more. Hi, Chris. Yeah, my name <laughs> is Nikki. We'll go with Nikki for today. <laughs> And yes, I'm a certified latent print examiner uh, and I work in Minnesota. And yeah, Chris and I have known each other for about 20 plus years, give or take. But after 20 years, like, yeah, yeah. it all blurs together. It's definitely elementary school because we were in like this <laughs> was a weird special class together. But we were in like this thing called challenge, which is for like gifted kids. And I have some memories from like third grade, but I have like more memories of fourth grade. And then Nikki was like my first friend to come visit me when I moved out to California. And I was just thinking like we had like no parental guidance. And my dad just like <laughs> left us in Mexico. And we were just I remember just like walking around in Mexico. Do you remember doing that? Like alone yeah. we were like what 15 or 16 15 probably i remember 15 you it was freshman year with case you like got dropped off on a dinghy in someone else's boat oh nikki like, Nick, nikki was there for that actually yeah, too but that was a different yeah. time of like oh. bad parenting and like us almost dying <laughs> but like well, no like we used to go to mexico and i remember like we had a hotel room by ourselves and um i remember you and i just walking around in mexico like alone at like 14 Where or 15 encinito Ensenada, probably. Ensenada. Yeah, or Rosarito, depending on where we went. Did we go on the boat or no? No. No boat. Okay, so then maybe we're in Rosarito, which is like right next to Tijuana. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I remember, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were right next to Tijuana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, do we have anything else we want to cover? No. No. Like, review, subscribe. Yeah, Please. listen to us. Oh, we'll take feedback, too. So if you want us to change anything about our episodes. Um, but be well, realistic. Be realistic, because we're also going to try these interview episodes. So if you also, if you want to come on and talk about a case, any case, it doesn't have to be a hometown, just something that you have interest in. Um, Nikki is going to talk about a fingerprinting case because of her relationship or her job in the field. But mm. you can talk about anything you want. We'd love yes. to have some other listeners on. Yeah. Okay. Nikki, did you have anything else you wanted to say or did you want to get started on your case? No, we could probably just get started. Okay. Tell us about your person. Okay. So today I'm going to go over the case of Brandon Mayfield. Get to the top of my notes here. You know nothing. I know nothing. No, I gave her a summary before. But but even still, that's gone. I should have texted you. I should have been like, this is the case, but I'm excited. Okay. 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 Cool. Okay, so this actually starts in Madrid, Spain. The year is 2004. 
Uh, the day is March 11th, 2004. Um, and just as a note, it's about three days before the general election in Spain. It's, uh, like I said, morning. It's peak of rush hour. And um, around 7.40, somewhere in between that time frame and within like those few minutes, 10 explosions aboard four different commuter trains um, explode. And they were all thought to have been hidden in backpacks. And like I said, four different trains. Uh, I think 13 IEDs were placed and I think 10 were discovered. Uh, this is all from the Wikipedia page, by the way. Um, everything I'm discussing about the train bombings. Um, and if you have any other links that you want us to share, like we, you can send them to me and I'll put them on the website with like the under the episode. Yeah, definitely. I'll send those to you. Um, cool. So this is Europe's worst terror attack in many years uh, since like the late 80s. 193 people are killed and nearly 2000 are injured. And um, like I said, it was right before the election. So they kind of thought that there was maybe a relationship there. But quickly, um, they find some more evidence that links it to Islamic extremism or just some um, extreme terrorist Islamic uh, views uh, or a group that has those views. And um, ultimately, official investigation by the Spanish judiciary found that the attacks were directed by an al-Qaeda terrorist cell, though no direct link was established. So that's kind of, I'm not really sure what that necessarily means. It was like not al-Qaeda, but like kind of al-Qaeda inspired people. It okay. seems. Anyway, so during... As they're recovering evidence and looking into the de the debris and the destruction, the Spanish authorities find fingerprints on a bag containing detonating or detonation devices. Um, the fingerprints found on a blue plastic bag containing detonation materials that are similar to the devices that were used in the bombings. But this bag was found in a van that was parked in the vicinity of the station um, where all the trains involved had left from or traveled through. So these fingerprints um, end up being shared with the American FBI through Interpol, which is, I don't know if anyone knows what Interpol is. It's kind of just like this international like group of, or network of um, different countries that share information about criminal activity. So that way, especially with like terrorism, I think it's really useful um, to share information. So that way, like if someone from one country in another commits a crime or an attack in another country, like that information can be shared and you can catch the people. So like, these can I just say like in the true crime field, I feel like I hear this a lot, but like my brain always goes to like, if you're going to fucking do something like blow up stuff, why wouldn't you wear gloves when you're putting stuff together? And it's like, it's such a bad thought process because like you kind of want the people to mess up, but I'm also like dumbass. Like if I was going <laughs> to leave something on a scene, I'd be wearing gloves the entire time it's like you know? that meme like you're just watching the crime and you're yeah. your tips, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. you're oh, like yeah yeah you can identify the body that way like stop stupid. it yeah <laughs> but also like keep being stupid because like keep yeah 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 we'd love to catch you and have you go to jail oh, it's like, yeah. yeah 
She said, like, bring your drugs to the police station. We'll test them for yes. you. What? Okay, but although although I have seen those and sometimes they make me feel bad because they're like, is your stuff laced with, like, killer stuff? And it's like, yeah, but that actually could be important. Because like, people shouldn't but... die from using, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I know. But it's like, yeah, come here with your illegal activity. Or, um, or don't. BTK when he was like, can you guys trace the floppy disk I send in? And then the police were like, no, we cannot trace the floppy nah. disk. And then they were like, of course we can trace the fucking floppy disk. And he said, why did you lie to me? And they were like, what? What, are you talking what about, do you bro? mean? We're police. You're a murderer. Like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that That's makes me think of a case that actually that Joe might be interested in doing. We were talking about it. It was one he studied in his serial killer class. Um, when we were in college and um, I don't know, I won't say much more about it. I'll have him contact you, but um, we talked about him. We're like, yeah, you should totally do that one for Chris's podcast if if he wants to be a guest. So the listeners probably don't know this, but Nikki's husband is really one of my favorite people. He's uh, a delight. And also he has a podcast called Frankenstein's podcast. And he literally sounds, he sounds like he should be doing that as his job. He's actually a teacher, (laughs) But he has the most excellent podcasting voice, too. It's so lovely to listen to him. Like, and me and my husband are sitting with it. And, like, Alex is going, who is that? I'm like, that's Joe. Shut up. Like, Alex is, like, face blind, apparently. Like, voice blind, apparently, too. But I'm like, doesn't he sound amazing? He's like, oh, he's so good. I'm like, I know. I know. So we really want him on, too. And I want to hear about that case. But, yeah. Cool. Sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. But no. I also, like, I got to tell you. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You, I love you. In this yeah. case, I think it was, val- you know, it's sort of a valid question. Like, I mean, if you were handling all these bombs that you were placing on these commuter trains, I mean, I guess maybe, I don't know. If they bought this was in a van. Yeah, I don't know. Because yeah. they were like, I think of those 13 IEDs that I said, they were placed, but I feel like only 10 went off. So they had recovered like three inactive or not inactive. I think two of them were like disarmed or whatever, or controlled explosions. But so maybe they just didn't expect the evidence to survive to be fingerprinted, oh. but these were left in a van. So I don't know really exactly the story behind that or what these people oh. were thinking. But okay. I mean, like okay. a lot of crimes, I mean, they're kind of like, a lot of crimes are kind of heat of the moment. So you don't like prep before. I mean, there is a lot but of premeditated murders. This was prepped. That's what I'm saying. But, but, like, yeah. Go boom. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's <laughs> that's probably what their thought process is. And then, like, we don't know, was the van supposed to blow up? Were they supposed to come back for the van? I'm not sure. There could have been that, too. Okay, So, but also then that could have been the thought process. Is it doesn't matter if we touch anything in here because they won't find it for whatever reason. It's funny okay. also that you're like, well, why don't, you know, the criminals wear gloves? You'd also be surprised how often we identify officers who, like, kind of just uh, wear gloves or like forgot to wear gloves or oh i'm not really we're not sure, surprised nikki we're not surprised because yeah. we're both obsessed with true crime and there's so many instances of like the officers trampled all of the evidence or yeah. like or they let the murderer take evidence away while they were at the crime scene and you're like shut huh? the fuck up really <laughs> i thought you couldn't touch anything like this is a comedy special. Yeah, yeah, you're like, that's not real. I've seen Law and Order. Like, they don't do that. Olivia Benson would never. Yeah. She would never. <laughs> Just wear gloves. I mean, not the criminals. For real. But 
No, no, no. I know. The criminals, I'm glad that they're dumb generally. They really freak me out when they, like... Act, like Podcast name. Like, just Wear Gloves. Just Wear Gloves. That is a good podcast name. But, like, um, Israel <laughs> Keys really freaks me the fuck out because he was so intelligent. Like, he's the one that, like, buried kill kits years in advance in different areas. What? And they think he has, like, 13-plus murders, but they've only actually been able to link him to, like, one or two. I was listening to a podcast on him, and I actually got freaked out. I don't get freaked out very easily, and I was like, I have to turn that off for a sec because I was like, he's too good, and I don't like the idea of murderers and like criminals being good at their stuff you're horrified i'm fascinated no, there's, a, like, whole, there's a whole podcast on it actually oh it's called it's like the it's the really it's a really interesting title actually i think it's called like israel keys you said um yeah but the podcast oh my god i'm so sorry nicole i'm like come on my thing so i can tell everybody about other podcasts that they should listen to but it's actually it's got a really interesting name because one of the reasons he didn't want to talk was because he was like i don't want this stuff to be in like true crime it's like called true crime bullshit or something (laughs) and he is the scariest person ever and he was really good at it. And he only got caught because he was, like, super lazy at the very end and killed somebody in his city. Yeah. Okay, so I think yeah. we're doing – that'll be another one. We'll yeah. Some point. I don't know. It's really sad, though. Okay, the, the, the thing is called – I think it's called True Crime Bullshit. But maybe not – okay, whatever. Nikki, tell us more about your thing, and I'll probably cut you off in a minute and be like, this is the name of it after I figured it out. <laughs> okay. Sorry. It's all right. So, okay, so – The Spanish National Police, SNP, I might just abbreviate that later. Um, So they recover these fingerprints or several fingerprints and they share them with the FBI through Interpol, this international kind of communication relay group that um, connects different countries and their um, criminal databases. So March 19th. So this is. Eight days later, if you're counting and remembering that the attacks happened on March 11th, March 19th, the FBI identifies a source to the to one of the fingerprints. It's called fingerprint 17, and they identify Brandon Mayfield. It's um, an identification reached through a search in the database called IAFIS, which was so AFIS stands for Automated Fingerprint Identification System. Um, which is kind of a misnomer, and I can maybe get into that later. <laughs> um, so he comes up as a result of this search, and two people verify at the at the FBI verify the verify the ID, and the report goes out. So Brandon Mayfield, he is a lawyer in operating uh, operating working out of Portland, Oregon. He grew up in Kansas in July 1966. Um, He served in the U.S. Army Reserve um, in the late 80s, and he was an officer in the Army in Germany in the early 90s. So he spent some time in the military. He met his wife, an Egyptian immigrant, in uh, the late 80s, so I guess kind of during his Army Reserve days. Um, They met in Washington, and Brandon Mayfield actually converts to Islam, uh, assumingly her religion, shortly after their marriage or around the time of their marriage. Um, Like I mentioned, he's a lawyer. He received his law degree in 1999 from Washburn University. His specialty is practicing family law. Um, And as I mentioned, he works in the Portland area at this time. And him and his wife have four kids. So it's kind of a little bit of an introduction to Brandon Mayfield himself. So with this fingerprint ID, the FBI then applies for a essentially covert electronic surveillance 
in physical search warrants through FISA. I'm not sure if that's how it's like the acronym is actually pronounced by people who use it more often. I have no idea either, but yeah, no, I hear you. So, so that's, it stands for, it's FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Um, And this was actually put into law in 1978. So that's just kind of a little bit of um, kind of how they Okay, wait, so I want to cut you off, too, because I did, like, very little research, so I'm just going to, like, throw out my my questions that are very minimally researched. I want to hear what you have to say. So, because we were talking about how he also, like, I sent you that article where it talked about how he was Mm -hmm. put under the surveillance under this, like, kind of half-assed warrant because they weren't able to get, like, a real warrant because they actually didn't have enough evidence. They they used this, like, terrorism... uh, uh, like little secret roundabout way to wiretap and stuff, right? Or is this so, a different part? So, I mean, this is kind of the more legal and investigative side of things that I'm not as familiar with, I'll be honest. Okay. So one of my major sources for this, and again, I'll send you a link, is actually the um, Department of Justice's Office of the Inspector General, so OIG. Um, their report on this whole incident, because after the fact, they of course, do like this full-fledged investigation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my information and my timeline and everything is from that. And so I think, so my understanding from, because I was trying to read into like the FISA or FISA on Wikipedia just to get like a basic starting line from that. Um, And also like its relationship to the Patriot Act, which we'll talk about too. Um, So basically... Foreign intelligence surveillance. So it's intelligence surveillance. So it's not supposed to be there. I mean, it, it sounds, it, it does seem pretty sketchy and kind of roundabout way to like, there weren't, it wasn't like a criminal search warrant. So my understanding is that there's kind of, at least at the federal level through these surveillance investigations, there's, there's this difference between gathering intelligence and then like actually like, using knowledge that is obtained for you know to sort of prove criminal intent or activities or whatever um so essentially i mean then the fingerprint alone really was like enough of a enough evidence for them to begin at least this intelligence gathering stage and even though okay sorry and then i like that's the other thing that i you about though was that so the article that i am mainly quoting right now is this like al jazeera article Mm -hmm. which i thought was really well done but it talked about kind of like how they it was shitty investigation work so they had 20 suspects that had matched and you're going to correct me because you corrected me in the text too but my (laughs) interpretation was that there was like a partial match on one of the fingers at least and he came up because he had been in the army and that they actually correct you on that too Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It's fine. I'm totally fine with that. It's literally not my job, so this is what I'm throwing out there. That he got bumped up on the list, too, though, because of his defense of an accused terrorist previously and the fact that he was Muslim. Yes, you're... So, yes. Yes and no. So, those things are true that they discovered about him, and that's kind of where this stuff comes into play. Um... I think that the media kind of, like I said, sort of like mashes together some, there's like a clear timeline and I'll go over that. Um, Ultimately, definitely like the Patriot Act and sort of this post 9-11 atmosphere contributes to this case. It's not 
the primary reason that Mayfield that this that this error happened in the first place. The error was a forensic error, first and foremost. So the people, the examiner who got his name off of the list of candidates in APHIS, he did not know anything more than probably just his name, maybe a birth date. And he would have had no idea his religious affiliation or who he was or his job and all of those things. So that actually came through like kind of after they started surveilling him. Um, And I'll go over a little bit more like kind of like the idea of like the partialness of the fingerprint and like that, that, that APHIS candidate list that, that we're talking about. Um, The point, a major point though, and a fact is that they began to surveil Mayfield. Um, They did wiretaps of his like at his uh, law office i think they, they physically surveilled him too he they definitely your yep. family reported that they thought they had broken in at least twice and that they were worried about it at the time because yeah. they had known someone had come in their house I they searched his residence and law office prior to his arrest no he wasn't in spain he hadn't left the country for what like 10 to 13 years or something it was like in Correct. an article they had given like a range of like the last time he had yeah. left the continent so, so it was just like, yeah well, wait a, no so no i'm sorry maybe yeah. i missed that big like aha moment but did he, okay no? <laughs> no but i'm sure nikki is gonna get into this but he took some like or he had some interest in like flight classes too and that got thrown around too Girl, same Lit- <laughs> yeah no so he had like googled flight classes and then his daughter had googled um something this about is- spain for a, a school project Chris, and then they used this, that as sorry this is nikki this is literally what i do for everyone's cases when i know the information i just start cutting everyone off sorry nikki welcome to our podcast like theme. oh i've listened to all everyone of them off. i know it's all right. <laughs> Nikki's known me for 20 years. She also knows I'm an asshole, and this is what I do. Sorry. That's not what I said. You're not an asshole. You're like switching to share your knowledge. <laughs> it's so really funny. interesting, though, and I like I like that Nikki's actually a professional, so I can be like, but what about this, Nikki? And you actually give me feedback, because you and I just, like, we go Bullshit. back and forth going, well, what about this? Well, I don't know. I don't know what about this. And Nikki's like, no, that's not true, because this is the list, and the list was like this. (laughs) Exactly. She's all calm, just staring at me like, no, that's true, but also untrue. Let me explain why. (laughs) So, it's scary, right? He definitely, like, gets the feeling that he's being tailed. Um, His family, they get the sense that their house has been essentially, yeah, broken into. Um, Nothing is stolen, or taken at this time. Um, but yeah, they use national security letters to wiretap his phones, bug the house, search the house several times. This is definitely all scary, you know, and he has obviously no reason why. Um, no reason or understanding as to why this might be happening. Um, and yes, it's true. During this investigation, they also discover he's a lawyer and he had actually represented a man called Jeffrey Leon Battle, which is... Um, like you mentioned, um, so he was one of what is called a group called the Portland Seven, which I didn't look too much into. But my understanding is that they were a group of people who also were inspired by Al Qaeda and um, Islamic extremism um, and had maybe been planning some things or were going to leave the U.S. to go and join those efforts abroad or something. Um, and so they discovered that he had represented him in a case, but actually it was a child custody case. Um, and I think he also, like they said, he had some ties with other kind of people with like 
extremist mosque, Islam. Right. Yeah, cause, because he worshipped at the same mosque as them, which, yes, is definitely coincidental. Um, but they took that as, like, you know, I mean, again, obviously, like, in this atmosphere, like, if you're Muslim or associating with Muslims and, like, let alone people who, you know, are going too far in their beliefs or have extreme beliefs, you know, you just happen to, you know, then things were definitely... A web was spinning you know, of, like, the situation um, based on all of these, like, points and, like, you know, these kind of, like, fake dots were really being connected. Um, anyway, there's... So they meant to, They actually meant to surveil him for a bit longer. They wanted to gather some more intelligence before approaching him, and they actually wanted to approach him supposedly, like, vol- like kind of approach him to provide a voluntary interview. That's Apparently that was the plan. But what happens is... Early May, there is word of a possible media leak. And the fear is that if the word gets out, Mayfield would flee and or destroy evidence um, and all that stuff. So they obtain what's called a material witness and criminal search warrants um, in order to arrest him. And um, May 6th, he is arrested at his law office. But he is not told why he's being arrested, where he's being arrested. His family doesn't actually even know what happened to him at the time. And also, I just want to say, like, and I I know you're going to get into this more, but, like, following September 11th, the U.S. government actually did this to a lot of people who were, like, Middle Eastern, Arab, um, Muslim ties. No, it was actually very, very legal because, and and you think, like, and I think this is also happening a little bit now, like, where people are getting pulled off the street into these vans. And, like, in my head, I'm like, that is not the kind of shit that's happening in the U.S. Like, that's what happens into, like, these, like other countries where you have dictatorships and people go missing for, you know, pushing against the, the whatever, the dictators, but it actually can legally still happen in the US as well. And I mean, it Oh, I'm it sure it's happened for the longest time. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. mean even just like honestly, I feel like it's probably just as much a part of our history as other countries and we just don't talk about it. Um no. I mean, even like, you know, um we all know, like Martin Luther King Jr. and other, you know, prominent activists, um, you know, decades ago were also surveilled by the FBI because they considered them possible or actual terrorists. And it was in the interest, I'm putting up air quotes, of national security. So, yeah. It's, it's like definitely... a really weird, interesting, like, umbrella of, like, we don't have to follow the laws that you would think most people are are um, involved in, right? Like, if any of us get arrested for anything, they're going to tell us why we're being arrested. They're going to tell the people where we're being held. It's actually going to be, like, public knowledge. But there are people who can be pulled off the street, and you could be held without actually being arrested, too, right? Because was, so was he actually arrested, though? You're saying he was arrested. I thought he was just um, Yeah, held. he's arrested. He's um, arrested, okay. And you're right. His family actually learns of the charges when they're watching the news. Like, they don't know. Like, he's not able to contact them. Um, I think the same day he does find out because I think he has a hearing that day is my understanding. Yeah. But obviously later. So I think that at the hearing is when they're like, well, we got this fingerprint. And he's like, that's not my fingerprint. What? I don't know how that got there. If it is my fingerprint, I don't know how it got there. You know, but I mean, like everybody says that. I mean, you know what I mean? Oh, but like, could you imagine internally what you're thinking in Are a courtroom? Yeah, and they're like, "We found your fingerprint in Spain," and you're just like, "Huh? I've <laughs> never what? Do I have a twin? I don't know about." Yeah, <laughs> the terror he must have felt. Like I'm laughing about it, but like I oh. could imagine just being like, "Holy shit!" Well, I laugh when I'm nervous. Yeah, me too. So I laugh I when have... I laugh when I'm nervous too. I'd be in court going, "What the fuck is happening?" Yeah. 
fact, yeah, I wonder. Your Honor, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> this is an alternate universe. Like, is this the alternate timeline that we all went into in 2020? Like, what? we're in a loop back around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, so his family's like, yeah, and they're like, he hasn't been out of the country for nearly a dozen years, as you pointed out. Um, So he spends two weeks at... <clears throat> Multnomah County Detention Center in Portland. I'm um, hopefully I pronounced that right. Um, they at that May sixth hearing, he is denied home detention. Um, but then two weeks later, um, so he's held for two weeks, and on May twentieth, he's released to home detention. Um, and I'll explain why because I'll go in a little bit more detail um, as as to like the timeline that what happens. Um, but, but essentially, these are just Mayfield's story. So like. May 20th, he's finally released to home detention. And then four days later, the FBI withdraws its conclusion of the identification. And then the, basically everything is dismissed against him. And an Algerian, whose first name I can't pronounce, but the last name is Daoud, D-A-O-U-D, is eventually um, ultimately ID'd to, the, to that print that they had said it was Mayfield's. Um, So that's just kind of Brandon Mayfield's story. Kind of like overarching um getting into so again this timeline that i am now going to go over in a little bit more detail is from that oig report and i think that was from like 2006 so it's like two years later or so um that they spent investigating this and then they put out the information and their determinations um so again like the 19th the fbi identifies mayfield and as i said the print is verified by a second examiner and is reviewed by the latent print unit chief, who also concurs with the identification. The FBI investigative branch opens up an intense investigation, including 24-hour surveillance. And that's where they learn of his background. And, you know, suddenly, and things seem to click. Um, I will point out, though, I mean, it is said in the report that, like, no information specifically linking or relating Mayfield to the Madrid attacks surfaces during this time. I mean, they come up with, you know, the knowledge that he is a Muslim and, you know, that he married an Egyptian immigrant and that he worships at this mosque and his law practice and who he's represented and all of these things. Um, but they actually don't find any, like, anything very, any spe- anything specific enough to the Madrid attacks. Um, and so that's all happening kind of like, okay, let's say March 19th through kind of mid-April because April April 13th, excuse me, the Spanish National Police, so, you know, so obviously like before this, you know, after the report goes out that they identified Mayfield, you know, they kind of also sent this information to the Spanish police. And the Spanish police starts looking at it and April 13th, they actually issue their own report and it's called the Negativo Report in this um, OIG report is kind of like mentioned as the Negativo Report. So negative report. So basically the Spanish National Police is like, we don't agree with this identification that you've made to this American person. Um, <laughs> so, huh. yeah, yeah. so what happens? The FBI sends someone to go meet, they send someone over to Spain to meet with Spanish National Police and to explain the FBI's conclusion, bringing charts and, you know, doing a whole presentation on why the FBI has declared this an identification. (laughs) Um, There's kind of differing accounts of, you know, in in the OIG report, they 
everybody kind of says something different about how the end of that presentation or meeting, whatever you want to call it, kind of concluded. Essentially, the, the Spanish National Police basically said, we'll, we'll relook at it again in light of this presentation. Um, I think the FBI maybe thought that they'd convinced them, but the Spanish National Police wasn't like, oh, okay, yeah, ID, like, cool, like, we're done here, okay. Like, you know what I mean? They were like, they listened, and they were like, okay, like, I guess we'll take another look at it. But, like, clearly, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they still had doubts. Like, they definitely didn't want to commit to this identification right then and there. And I'm sure that's kind of awkward, like, like two different expert or like groups of experts coming together, and you're like, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, and sort of, you know, I that think it was just sort of like, let's 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 take another look at it like you know you need to take a step back sometimes and just be like we need to talk about this like ourselves you know yeah yeah like because you have interpreted something different like I obviously do not know how to read fingerprints but like I'm like wondering if they were like oh we saw it this way versus or we looked at this thing right there was something like that well and thinking of like if I was FBI and being like I feel like this is bullshit, but I'm willing to go on a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that no? Was it was it like a fingerprint person who went over there to explain everything? Was it one of the people who identified it? I can't remember. I didn't write down all the names. I didn't really. I didn't really want to like. No. Also, I was gonna life. say. Also, welcome to the podcast where I ask questions that are really obscure and like no one has answers to ever, even myself sometimes. Where I'm like, out yeah, and everyone's like. Uh, that wasn't actually a relevant thing that I wrote down. Or I'm like, oh, was that in the spring or the fall? And then Victoria's like, shut up. Stop asking me this stuff. Sorry. Welcome to the pain that Victoria feels every week. (laughs) Well, and I mean, so another thing is, and this gets kind of really like in the nitty gritty of like, the latent print discipline and like what, what the term negative means, like from the Spanish National Police's perspective like the FBI you know there was also a little bit of a language barrier not barrier I mean obviously there's translation but you know sometimes especially like highly technical things it's sort of like what exactly do you mean or like are we like does your term this mean the same as this and um like even in the United States I mean like the term negative I mean does that mean no ID I mean I could just mean no ID and actually fingerprints you know that is a term that people had used it was id or no id so basically just two categories and it's like what does no id mean mean like i don't have enough like maybe there's some things that match up but it's not enough to say id or does that mean exclusion like no this person like is not the source of the print so okay. the term negative i think the fbi was like well, like do they just need us to convince them to like nudge them towards id you know they just like have the some doubts we need to overcome yeah, the jargon yeah. wasn't in line. They were suggesting, like, we, okay, so, like, the com- there was a communication breakdown in between these two organizations. Slightly. Slightly. And I think the FBI, like, went over there not only to sort of be like, like, what did you mean by negative? But also to be like, I mean, this this is what we're seeing. And, like, you know, it's it's gold. <laughs> um. So, okay, this is, like, like I said, so April 13th, they issue their negative report, the Spanish National Police. April 21st, so, like, about a week later, the FBI sends their examine over to meet with them and the Spanish are like oh, okay maybe we'll take another look at it May 6th so now this is early May that's when Mayfield's arrested if you remember and then here's where it's interesting I'm not sure this was in the Al Jazeera article that you mentioned um but May 17th actually um Mayfield and his defense team hire an independent expert a court-appointed independent expert reviews the ID gets the 
images of the latent print and gets Mayfield's known prints and does their own examination. Granted, they only have a couple days before Mayfield's next hearing on May 19th. May 19th, that independent expert who was hired by the defense concurs with the ID. They agree. They're like, yeah, this is Mayfield's print. I did not see that. I don't think that is very well known, at least like kind of like in media articles. But yeah, that happened. So that sucks for the defense. Whoops. But get this. Literally hours later, like a couple hours later, that same day, May 19th, the Spanish National Police informed the FBI they have ID'd Daoud to the latent print and an additional latent print that's also found on the bag. So, okay, this is May 19th. Like I said, the next day, May 20th, Mayfield's released to home detention. The FBI is kind of like, oh, maybe that was a mistake. How did we? (laughs) Yeah. Well, mm, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, he's released to home detention. So then four days later, the FBI withdraws their conclusion of identification. And then it's July 16th. By the time the FBI lab issues a formal report that I conclusively IDs Dawood as the source of the fingerprint. So that's kind of like the in-depth timeline, kind of where I introduce the Spanish National Police and their role in this. Um, their role as kind of the, um, I don't want to say, <laughs> as the dissenters. Because, I mean, honestly, without the Spanish National Police being like, I don't know. I mean, clearly the, the, the FBI authorities were like, nah, this is the person. You know, we've got the fingerprint. He's got the background. Like, this is all fitting. Like a hundred percent, no question. Mm-hmm. We're arresting. They arrested somebody, right? Or no? Did they just accuse them? What? No, because oh, yeah. like Spain arrested somebody at that time, right? Um, yeah, they they arrested a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I'm just let that linger. They arrested yeah, a lot of people. And she sounds like this is our professional Nicole. <laughs> they arrested a lot of people. <laughs> Attack, right? I mean, it wasn't just one person. No, no, I hear you. I know what you meant. It was just good. I liked it. Yeah, go on. (sighs) So let's get into this fingerprint ID. Um, Like I mentioned, it was a search in the FBI's kind of like integrated system called um, IAFIS. That's what it was called at the time. Um, It has like a different name now, like the the FBI database that I searched, but essentially, so they have different databases of known prints. It's not all one huge pile of fingerprint records or whatever. Um, Like there's the military records, there's the criminal records, there's civil records. So there's like different known print groups um, within that. And like, you can essentially be like, okay, like I'm going to, you know, I want to search this one and this one and this one, or, you know, this one and not this one or whatever. Um, And so the way that APHIS works is, so I, if you remember, I said that it stands for Automated Fingerprint Identification System, AFIS APHIS. But it's kind of a misnomer because, like I said, I mean, basically what APHIS does is search. So let me step back. When we get a fingerprint, a latent fingerprint, and we're marking these features, it's kind of like following a maze in a way. It's kind of how I make the analogy when I'm testifying in court. If you think about it like a maze and, you know, you could even have like, you know, a maze that is like the shape of a square, right? But you could have totally different paths. Like there's different like dead ends or different forks in the road. Like the path is different. So essentially what we're doing is finding these features, observing them in the latent print and marking them. And essentially you get like 
you can think of it as like a constellation of features. You know, like there's like direction and there's um, sort of the the type of um, ending, whether it's a fork or an ending or maybe like a tiny little um, pathway. All these different Victoria's features. looking at her fingers right now. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I was like, okay, we could do that too. Okay. You should just and, get some okay. sort of like ink or something like that and then just like look at your own fingerprint. Be cool. So interesting. Oh, if we if we screenshot that, it'd be me and Victoria both staring at our hand while <laughs> Nikki's eloquently explaining fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria and I, ah, fingerprints. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, because, like you said, with the little box, I'm like, oh, yeah, and then there's, like, a little dip, and then you kind of, so, okay, so you have to kind of find the constellation based off of what you're seeing in the print that you yes. get. Okay. So then what you can do with Aethys is, um, I mean, either we could, I mean, if you have known suspects, I mean, you can jump right into comparing those those people's known prints, um, you know, if you have them, but if, if you're suspect is unknown like in this case it was or in a lot of cases in regular casework it is then you'll just search in the database um to see if you can get a hit um but what avis is doing then is taking that constellation so we upload the image and we're marking the little features and it creates Which we've this probably all seen on like tv shows right where like the thing pops up and the little points probably. are on like the yeah. thing and they're like this is a marker this is a marker this is a marker like i've yeah. definitely seen that on like maybe like uh criminal minds NCIS. or something yeah, I was gonna say ncis yeah exactly is that yeah. is that like the way you would describe okay cool yeah i mean i don't, I don't remember the last time i've actually seen like what that looks like but i mean if, if that's what you're describing yeah i mean that's yeah i mean that's how that's how it starts is what I'll say. And then, but then what it's doing, so the computer is like searching like millions of fingerprints, right? I mean, the FBI's database is huge. And we're not even just talking about like, even if you have a million people, it means you have 10 million fingerprints that it's searching against because everyone's got 10 fingers and all your fingers are different. Well, not everyone has 10 fingers. Sorry. Well, <laughs> yes. I'm going to need you to sit in the corner. <laughs> That's the standard. We call it a standard fingerprint card, 10 print card. It's because our first person's like my BFF, no and I just like to, I'm know. trying to learn. I know I'm like really excited this whole time. I'm like, this is the best episode ever. <laughs> it's so interesting. Okay, go on, school us, teach us. So it's searching for a similar constellation, right? And so what it does is, unlike in shows and movies, I think where you know it's like do 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 do, and then like boom, like the suspect or like the person's like print pops up and they're like, oh, the computer like matched it. We're good to go. Like that's, that's very much You're not what happened. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. And all the information that they suddenly have at their fingertips when the fingerprint comes up, also completely wrong. Like I said, name, maybe birthday and maybe like the agency that fingerprinted them is like maybe all you know. Um, but so a candidate list comes up. So it's the computer is essentially like uh, based on my algorithms, like these are 10 or 20, in this case, 20 possible people that this constellation matches. Like I was like, you know, the computer thinks that these constellations possibly match. Um, and then what happens is the examiner actually goes through the list one by one and is searching and doing like a comparison side by side of the latent print and each candidate to determine whether or not it's a match or or not. Um, and so the computer right. ultimately, like the algorithm, like it, it, they Thanks have like a score. Your hand. 
Oh, she's raising her head. My yeah, I feel question. like <laughs> the only way I'm going to be able to do this appropriately. But because it was like a partial print, does that make it even like more of a challenge? Because you have less of a thing to work with? Well, so that, well, I mean, all latents are essentially partial prints. Like, no fantastic. one's like a full straight no smush on the thing. Do a that's full that's <laughs> rare. I mean, like, sometimes, depending on, like, the circumstances, you know, maybe the surface was really smooth, it was really clean, you know, the person was all sweaty, like, you know what I mean? And then they touch the surface, and you're like, oh, like... Everyone like a- coming in my house will now have to touch glass or, like, <laughs> yeah. roll their finger. <laughs> How dirty are your fingers? How sweaty Mine are, are probably pretty dirty. You just put lotion on, too, so yours are probably ready to print. They're very tacky. Oh, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm ready. Well, I want proof. I was here. I was here. <laughs> I was not in Spain. Oh, no. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like latent prints are partial. And I'll talk about the print itself. Like, uh, I mean, like, there's images of it in the OIG report. Um, So if anybody clicks on that link and um, goes through it, like, you'll find like the image of the print. And I'll go into that in just a moment. Um, But so APHIS, like 20 possible candidates, they start going through the list. APHIS actually does give like each potential match like a score. It doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it's really just like, you know, like the computer is doing an algorithm and it essentially has to come up with a number, I guess, to in order to sort of like sort the list, so to speak. Um, But really, I mean, like any of the possible any of the like the 20 possible candidates could have been or could be like a hit. Like I have hit to people who are my number nine out of 10 candidates. Um, You know, it just depends on how well you marked your latent image, how well you could see the features and also even how the gnome print is encoded because they're um, typically like the computer is kind of like auto extracting those features, but um, there are people who manually like take a look at those and clean them up as well before they kind of go into the database. But so sometimes, you know, the computer is not like finding like the top candidate is like the match, which is why we do a candidate list of like 10 or 20 people or more. So actually Mayfield was the fourth ranked candidate in this case. So he wasn't like the number one candidate or the number two or the three third. He was the fourth ranked candidate. Um, and the record actually was from a criminal record. What? No, it wasn't. It was from it was. In, the, in the article I read. It said that it was from his time being in the, in the military. What lies? Could it be both? <laughs> oh, no. No. Um, I don't know if. <laughs> No, shut up, both of no, you. No, I think it's, I don't know if they, so remember I was saying that, like, you don't necessarily search every database. Yeah. No database. I'm not sure if they, I can't remember. I don't know if they, I don't know if they were searching the military records. Um, They did get another known fingerprint exemplar from his military record. So he had, you know, the FBI had two records of his fingerprints. One was this criminal record from, like, he was, I guess, like, caught in a burglary or theft oh, or something when he oh was my God. no so I'm, I'm i opened the article back up and you are told i'm so sorry i mean of course i knew you were right because uh, i would always be wrong in this situation but it says his prints were in the fbi system because of mayfield's military service as well as an arrest two decades earlier because of a misunderstanding the charges were later dropped yeah okay but, but so he was fingerprinted at that time though and those prints made their way to the fbi's like integrated database okay um so yeah the record was from the criminal record um but then they were able to obtain another set of knowns because i don't know i think it was the verifier the, the second person who looked at it who was like 
you know, I think I want like another set of knowns to try and see if this other area is recorded because even like the known prints that, you know, people are, that are taken uh, of people, like when they're arrested or, you know, for other reasons. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to capture every single feature that's on the skin accurately and clearly and completely on a fingerprint card, which is why. So both Victoria and I have been fingerprinted. And the first time that I was fingerprinted for like my job, I had actually been bitten by a dog the year before on my finger and had like crushed my finger. And every time like I would, they would do that thing like on the, because it's not like ink anymore, right? It's like on the, like the screen, it would come up as like, because all of them would turn green on the screen. Like, oh, you captured Mm -hmm. that finger, you captured that finger. Mine was always like yellow or red for that finger because like it couldn't be fully captured because I have a huge scar down it too. So it couldn't read the thing. So, I mean, like, so someone could have a scar or like what been smushed on the screen a little bit or something, or, or are you also saying fingerprints can change or no? No, not change. It's just like, it, I was like when you're rolling, what? when like when you're rolling fingerprints, I mean, like to be able to capture. And also, if you think about it, like your finger is three dimensional, right? It's kind of it's round, conical. You know, it's got like a three D. Sh- it is a three D shape, right? Your finger is not two dimensional. Yeah. And though the you know the ridge detail, I mean, known exemplars are essentially like two dimensional renderings of a three dimensional thing. And so it's just hard to capture everything on one fingerprint record, you know, all the way. So, and especially just like a 10 print card, like you're just trying, we're just trying to get that like main pattern area where like you're most likely to touch things. Um, Sometimes like we can request what's called major case prints where they're taking a lot more impressions and they're doing like the extreme sides of your finger, the extreme tips, um, all areas of the palm and all that sort of thing. Um, But generally like the 10 print cards are like pretty standard and like, you know, you're not getting like those tippy tips of the finger because, you know, especially for like basic comparison purposes, like you don't often need them. Um, so where was I? Sorry. Um, he was hitting the criminal record. Okay. So the print, let's get into that. Um, so like, you know, it's partial print. I mean, like I said, it's a latent print. Most of them are partial and depending on what was going on while the fingerprint was deposited or put on the surface you know what kind of surface it was I mean there's a lot of what we call distortion that can be present um in this case it was a plastic bag which they are notoriously not awesome surfaces because you know they they can easily they're very flexible and they can easily shift and you know those kinds of things so it's like very easy for like it'd be very easy for a finger to like slip and slide around or you know um if there's like a fold in the bag like could be like it could be like a separation of the impression like once the bag is pulled tight if you can kind of think about that um and this this print looking at the image it's i mean it's not a beautiful print <laughs> but once you're looking at it and you start trying to mark features i mean there's a lot there it's definitely has like it definitely has value it's not like a piece of junk really um but it's 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 what i'd call a complex print it's it's not easy um, and getting into looking at Mayfield's print alongside this latent print, there's definitely similarities. Like, if you think about the fact that Avis is trying to find, like, a similar constellation or, you know, prints that have similar constellation of features, I mean, you're very likely to get things that have similarities. Um, right? I mean, that's just, like, the nature of searching in a database. It's like, you're going like- to get these close 
fingerprints right? matches. Because, like, we all have some similar stuff. Some people have some loops, but a lot of people have some loops, right? Or, like, some people have, like, right? Like, that's what you're saying. Like, there's only, there's different, there's all unique fingerprints, but they all have, they're all com- compromised of, like, the same stuff, right? The like, the three patterns. basic pattern types, yeah. And then what even then. Hmm? What are the three basic pattern types? Whorls, <laughs> loop, and I love arch. you. You're the best. Thank you for doing that for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I always think that everybody knows that. And then I have to, because it seems like basic knowledge to me, but that's not fair. You know? <laughs> to the person who works on fingerprints, because doesn't everyone know that? I'm like, no, I think I have a lot of loops. We can yeah. check next time. Yeah, ways. check me next time. Let's oh. do it next time. I also really want to see that scar. We're really like, whenever someone's like, oh, I have a scar. And I'm like, oh my God, let me see it. I want to take your print. It's kind of like a creepy sort of a creepy thing about fingerprint people sometimes well when they have scars on their hands no we're like ooh, let me see your scar <laughs> yeah i'll give you my fingerprints i also was like i'll give you my blood we just recently found out that i was o negative and um i hope you don't mind me saying this but nikki's husband's o negative and we were like we can give kidneys and stuff to each other so we go we were good it's like it's i'm safe yeah. yeah two of my favorite people in the world are yeah it's great i'm glad that like we can give each other our organs mm-hmm. if needed yeah yeah, well, I mean, only a couple organs, right? I mean, like the kidney. Like <laughs> yeah, the, the other organs, something has gone wrong. Yeah, we don't yeah. want that. But I would definitely give my organs to Joe. He's a peach. Oh, anyway, so are you going to have any more commentary on that um, fingerprint? Yeah, so, you know, like I said, there's like this marked chart of Mayfield's known fingerprint and the latent fingerprint in that OIG report. And it shows the features that they marked and thought that 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 matched up um and so like i'm saying there's definitely similarities um between them there's definitely parts that appear to correspond maybe do correspond like very closely however there's also definitely some differences and what should have been probably red flags um and essentially these were explained away for lack of a better way to say it i mean what kind of happened in this case you know, and the OIG report goes into this too when they're talking about the fingerprint error, but sort of this circular reasoning kind of appears to have come into play where, you know, they had this known print and they were like, okay, these like X amount of features are matching up. And then you start, you can start seeing things in the latent that aren't actually there because they seem suggested by what's in the known print. And you're like, oh, that looks like there's a little fork right there. And oh, yeah, that could probably be a fork too kind of thing. And you know what I mean? So like this sort of circular reasoning starts happening. Um, that and should not be happening though. It, not with a thing. No. It shouldn't right? be happening. I mean, sometimes there are things that do. You can infer, I mean, right? There's, so we use this <laughs> term called tolerance. And sort of, if you think about, I was trying to find like an analogy about this. So, when we're first analyzing a print to even see if, whether it's like good to be compared. Right. I mean, like sometimes there's fingerprints and like, you're like, Oh, maybe this looks fine. Like you see it on the evidence and you take a picture and then you are looking at it more closely and you're like, you know, I mean, it looked like maybe I saw a loop, but I don't have a lot of features to actually make a comparison. Um, and so we're looking at like both quality of the print 
and quantity. So quantity of the number of those features and also the overall like quality of the print. Like, is it really, really smudged or is there, you know, like, was there like, did the finger tap twice kind of causing an overlay of the impression? Um, you know, so it'd be like the finger lifts up and then like maybe moves or gets picked up and then like put back down, like right next to it. And so like they kind of overlap each other. Um, you know, is there distortion, like, like I said, like based on the substrate, you know, like, like a really round substrate, like a pole, like, you know, your fingers curling around and that might make a print look different in a certain way. Um, and, you know, we can study distortions and, and understand how they work. And there's sort of a tolerance where like, if you have like a lower quality print, like your tolerance has to be higher for differences, but that's where you have to be really careful. Like, if you have like a really, really good print, like you're talking about, like, you know, one of those like freshly clean surface, like someone like taps just right and you can see like their entire like you can see tons and tons of stuff. If there's a difference or two in the gnome print, like you'd be like, there's no room for like where at why that difference is there. Like it can't be explained. Um, and so tolerance kind of allows us to sort of weigh that quantity and quality and sort of have to like lower increase your tolerance for differences but obviously like there's a limit there and ultimately you can't just start explaining things away like oh like distortion but this is still a match um you know i guess I'm trying to think about it like if you had a pixelated image of like a person or like a face you know what i mean and you're like oh like you know the hair color seems the same or like you know i don't know like the skin color hair color you know or like maybe even like that nose shape looks familiar but like maybe you start like looking more closely and you're like well I know that my friend has like a mole like you know like you know right here or something like I'm not seeing that or um you know like the shape of the jawline looks kind of different you know so like it's kind of like you know you would the more clear of a picture you have like the less you would tolerate differences does that make sense no I think it totally I mean it makes sense to me like you when you're just describing the fingerprints like it's Okay, so if you have a clear fingerprint that's smushed onto one piece of paper versus, like, a fingerprint that was on a bag and it's, like, a partial where it's, like, you have to make up the other parts that weren't seen or weren't clear. No, it totally makes sense. I think this was a great analogy. You did a great description. And so then there's also, I think, so the verification stage. Um, So the methodology that fingerprint examiners use is called ACE-V. Maybe I should have prefaced with this, but so Mm -hmm. ace is analysis, which was that information gathering phase where I'm like, you're deciding whether it's going to be good for comparison. And then once you decide something is good for comparison or has value for comparison, then you're doing the actual comparison where you're putting, you know, a known print and the latent print side by side. And you're going, you're starting with your latent and you're like, okay, here's this feature in the latent. Where is it in the known? Oh, there it is. And then you're moving to the next ridge and you're like, oh, okay, there's that feature. And you're supposed to, you know, you keep going, comparing feature by feature, looking at everything like the spatial arrangement and the location and all of these things to see how well the correspondence is. And then E is essentially the decision-making phase evaluation where you make your determination of whether it's an ID or not, um, or an exclusion where you're like, this isn't the person, this can't be the person. Um, and then there's also a third kind of in the middle called inconclusive where there's not really enough information or maybe there's not enough to make an identification or you're not sure if you have the right area of the finger or palm and you're just not sure. 
Um, and you, you just like, I can't say either way. Um, and so then V is for verification. And that is when a second qualified examiner is doing essentially the ACE part all over again. Inde supposed to be independently. Um, then there's the thing is though, like generally, like standardly anyway, most, a lot of verifications aren't what we would call blind where you have absolutely no knowledge. You're just given a print in the known prints. And then it's like, make a decision about this fingerprint. So like generally it's like, okay, you get like someone's case and you're not blinded. Like you can like look at any part of the report or notes or whatever. And like generally like you probably will know the type of conclusion that the person came to. So like, you'll know like, okay, like so-and-so made an ID in this case, like I'm verifying an identification. Um, and so, and I'll talk kind of about like some changes that happened to fingerprints as a result of this case. But so, I mean, in this case, like the, the verification, neither of them, because there was two people who looked at it, like neither of those verifications were blind. They essentially like know who made the decision and um, they had like that person's like notes and everything available to them, whether they looked at them prior to or not. I mean, I don't exactly know, but it definitely wasn't like purposefully blinded. Um, and so, like, you know, in thinking about, like, everyone else's perspective of this, like, fingerprints at this point in time, and, like, even still, um, I mean, it has a long, long history as being known for being robust evidence. Um, generally, you know, in the past hundred years, it's been generally unquestioned. Um, you know, at, at one point, and I think around this time, fingerprint examiners were testifying to the fact that there was a zero error rate, which... It's not scientifically plausible, but that was what they were getting away with saying in courts. Um, and also, like, the fact that this was the FBI. So they're kind of viewed as, like, the best of the best, really. I mean, you know, kind of the top experts. Um, all of the examiners who were involved in this um, original decision, I mean, were seasoned experts. Like, they yep. weren't, like, two years on the job or, you know, like, just out and of training. Not, like this isn't like some little tiny like country town where like the detect the detective air quotes was like yeah that looks right it was like no 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 like this made its way to the very top like this shouldn't have probably happened but you said that they made changes based on this yeah well yeah we'll talk about that kind of as the aftermath um and so you know kind of during this like and kind of during that you know if you remember back to the timeline May nineteenth is that big day where like his expert is like oh yeah. That, I agree with the FBI or, you know, it's an ID. And the Spanish yeah. National Police are like, actually, we ID'd this other person. And then everyone's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, yeah. And then they're like, okay, he can go home. We're going to, like, <laughs> we're going to think about this a little bit. Or, you know, I think then the FBI is like, like, what? Learn. So, <laughs> you can go home. <laughs> actually, yeah. there's, there's this kind of suggestion at one point, And I think it was kind of during this time frame, like May 20th through 24th. Essentially, the lab backpedals a lot and there's a lab spokesperson i think that initially says the initial examiner should have determined the latent print was not of value so like the implication there being that the error was not the decision to identify but the decision to compare in the first place which yeah. sounds maybe similar but are actually quite different no and, no and um, i think i mean you yeah. did cover that too because like that's yeah. the initial thing and then if the initial if it goes through it's a yes like it can be qualified or whatever then it goes in I and mean, if not it gets moved out and no one looks at it or what happens yeah yeah i mean if if the analysis is determined no value or not suitable for comparison then 
nothing even you you know if you're saying that that doesn't have value for comparison then that's the end of the it's the end of the line for that print and it, i mean it's generally still recorded in like the case record you know because you've done an analysis but you're like you know it didn't go any further it didn't get compared to anybody and in Spain, the the reason that they felt they were able to find or like ID the person was because they had a second print. Well, I think the FBI had numerous prints as well, so they had the same. Oh, okay. I don't remember if it was you know if the Spanish National Police had only sent. I'm not entirely aware whether they sent. Like, I don't remember what number they sent to the FBI or how many, but I think it was more than one. Okay. And this was the only one that had hit to Mayfield. Um. And, but ultimately, like, they did identify at least two prints of Dawood to the other guy to, to the, uh, to the bag. Um, so this was kind of one explanation the FBI kind of like maybe puts out there. I don't, I don't know if it gained much traction, but I think like in the OIG report, like it's stated that like at some point, like there was a suggestion that maybe it shouldn't have been compared in the first place. So like kind of backtracking all the way, like, oh, this, this actually wasn't a value. Sort of like, we didn't make an uh, an error in the ID. We just ID'd and er, erred in comparing it in the first place. So that's obviously not great um, and is not admitting to the problem and the errors. Um, there's also the investigators too. You know, as they were, from the investigative side of things, they were also trying to piece together, because like we said, like he hadn't been out of the country in a dozen years or so. And so the investigative team was also like, how did this print get on this bag? Like, did he sneak out through Canada, you know, under an alias that's not known and, you know, somehow make his way to Spain from there. Um, And there was also this theory, you know, or another theory kind of popped up. And I think even maybe his defense team, you know, especially after his defense expert was like, yeah, this is the print. Like, I mean, then you have to start thinking about like, okay, like if you can't, say that he's not the source like there's sort of this kind of hierarchy of propositions um that can be thought of when we're talking about forensic science and the law and forensic evidence so there's kind of three levels so source is the first level so that's like is this person the source of this fingerprint is this blood stain is this person the source of this blood stain so like any sort of forensic piece of evidence but then there's also activity level like how did that mark get there um, you know, like, so it's like, okay, well, the fingerprint is there because they touched the gun. Okay. And like, then you could even think about like, how did they touch the gun? You know, where was the fingerprint? Is it on the trigger? Is it just like, uh, on the grip? Is it, you know, on somewhere else on the gun? Um, you know, how did, how did the print get there? Like, if you're not going to dispute the source, then you can dispute the activity level or we can talk about activity level. And that's really not where forensic science really goes, though. I mean, that's kind of more what happens in the court, right? Like, that's what the prosecutor's job is, is to be like, okay, we have this fingerprint and it got here this way because the person touched the gun and then they shot, you know, the victim or whatever is going on. Um, And then the last, the highest proposition in this hierarchy is sort of like criminal activity or intent. So like, maybe... It's my print. Maybe I touched the gun, but did I commit a crime while touching the gun? Sort of thing. So, or like, that, could they have touched the bag and could that have traveled to Spain somehow? Exactly. So, that was sort of a proposition, I think, that was heralded as like a possibility or an explanation. And, but the thing is, like, even then, it's like, I mean, was, was, did he, I mean, even if he touched the bag, was it like an innocent thing? Like, or did he know, make did the detonator and send it? 
Yeah, or did he purposefully, like, send something to terrorists in Madrid that he was, you know, so... Anyway, so all these things um, as possibilities for explaining or explanations. Um, so obviously, Ew. that activity level, a theory that maybe he touched the bag in the U.S. or and maybe a third party brought it to Madrid, whatever, like that clearly kind of came before. But then it was after Dawood is ID'd, they do that backpedaling or like, oh, no value. That doesn't really <laughs> last. So <laughs> at that nice. point, so. I think by May 24th, that's kind of maybe like something that they're discussing. Like they didn't, like I said, like the FBI did not conclusively issue a report identifying the Algerian Dawood until July. So, but by May 24th, like it's clear that the FBI's kind of like whole investigation and theory and everything is, has fallen apart. So Mayfield is released and I think that his, the charges are dismissed. And so he's finally off the hook. Um, so yeah, those, those kinds of things are interesting. Um, but so like I said, you know, so now we'll get kind of into, or I'm going to get into like sort of the, everything else in this case, the non-forensic aspect, but yeah, like I kind of wanted to point out the erroneous idea of the fingerprint was the initiating and primary factor. They didn't initially know Mayfield's religion or background. Um, however, it... In this OIG report, it's it, it's admitted and it's known that eventually the examiners do become aware, probably, of the additional information about Mayfield, including his religion, etc. Um, by the time the opportunity to confront their error had arrived, and there's this quote from the OIG that states, <clears throat> One of the examiners candidly admitted that if the person ID'd had been someone without these characteristics, like the Maytag repairman, the lab might have revisited the ID with more skepticism and caught the error. So that's, I think, where Ooh. this confirmation bias issue comes in where, um, you know, like from the investigative side of things, you know, they're like, okay, we have this fingerprint and then this seems to match up. And if that word gets back to the lab, you know, to both the lab and the investigative team, everything is kind of starting to make sense. Yeah, everything just pieces together. They're like, he's mm -hmm. Muslim and he has ties to a terrorist. And this is yeah. a terrorist attack that, yeah. And yeah, I mean, and then the Islamophobia stuff probably comes up too. Sorry. But, um, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I know that that does come out regularly, especially here in the U.S. So, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of comfort, you know, Sounding bias. But. Brandon Mayfield, but he wasn't Muslim. He wasn't born Muslim, I right? Know, yeah. No, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I mean, that's what I'm telling. You. I was like, Nikki, they knew, and you were like, I'll get into it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine, 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 fine. Because like, I mean, I won't deny that yeah. definitely, like the, the Islamophobia and kind of this heightened, extremely heightened uh, tension and like anxiety, like related to like post 9/11 and terrorist, you know, international terrorism, definitely influence this case um but i think it kind of gets wound up and i'm not sure why i mean it's definitely huge in like the forensic and like justice community like this is you know i mean like it's quite plausible to be i mean even in like our mock trials like at the end of training like one of the questions that our like pretend defense lawyer like usually asks is like uh are you familiar with the mayfield error you know like uh that was a mistake right the fbi made a mistake like is did you make a mistake and so you have to be able to like respond to this case and understand like what happened and to know like if this probably should have been ruled out as a fingerprint that was a, it's uh, a cautionary tale and definitely like i said like some changes were made to 
the discipline and the FBI laboratory's own procedures um, as a after this. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I think so. I mentioned that like they got this like surveillance warrant from using like the FISA law. I don't know if I'm saying that right. FISA. Um, but the Patriot Act actually, so that. The Patriot Act, uh, according to Wikipedia, is um, was made into law, signed into law on October 26, 2001. So what is that, like six, seven weeks after 9-11? Um, it's definitely put into place very quickly, considering the slow pace of legislation in our country. Um, the Patriot Act makes changes to the FISA, including... So they're kind of these minor differences, but they kind of go over it in the OIG. And so, like, if anybody wants to, like, read more into it, including you guys, like, definitely do. So they replace, like, the sole purpose to a significant purpose. So, like, they, it, it kind of broadened, like, the ability of people to ask for surveillance. So it doesn't have to be, like, the sole purpose to gather intelligence, but, like, a significant purpose. And it also amended the FISA to allow intelligence investigators to consult with criminal investigators. So like I said, there's kind of this, there was more of this separation between the intelligence gathering side of things and the criminal investigating side of things. But the Patriot Act essentially chipped away at that wall a lot. In fact, maybe kind of eliminated it um, in an effort to coordinate um, investigations um, and to protect against terrorism. Um, so the three main provisions of the Patriot Act were to expand the ability of law enforcement to surveil, ease interagency communication, which I think is essentially what I was just describing there, between intelligence and criminal investigation, um, and it increased penalties and expanded the list of activities that would qualify for, you know, being suspicious. Um, just as a note, there were people who voted against the Patriot Act. Um, you know, they described it as opportunistic and they were not a fan 67 no votes between both the House and the Senate. Most of them were most of them were Democrats and three were Republicans. Just as an FYI, just wanted yeah. to put that out there. And it's like because I understand like why some of these things go into place. And like part of me goes, "Hey, if you have nothing to hide, then why does it matter?" But then the other part is like, "No, I think we have like some rights to privacy in the U.S. and like and for this, it like really blurs the lines because they're saying, "Oh, you can say like this isn't really criminal or like this isn't really relevant and still like spy on different people and do things like this." And then we have these other issues where you can take people off the streets and you know whatever. Anyways, anyways. Yeah, and so uh, one point, I don't remember. I think this is in the OIG report, too. A Portland assistant U.S. attorney stated that Mayfield's religion was a, quote, mildly corroborating factor. Yeah. Mild. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, not just his religion, but also, like, you know, where he worshipped and his influence, the influence of his having represented um that Portland seven individual in a custody case in a custody um, case. And it's yeah. like, that like, wasn't it like pro bono too? And he was like known for it or like, it was like, he like does he, he, he wasn't doing something malicious and he wasn't even like defending like the terroristic stuff. It was like something totally unrelated. Like so you're like that kid who shows up to class trying to school the teacher. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm always been like, my, Nikki is that way too though. So like she understands <laughs> it's fine. Nikki is like got a, yeah, sorry, never mind. So Nikki's going to rebuttal now. No, Nikki's no. not going to rebuttal. Nikki's on the same page as that, right? No, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, and like, you know, so there's like these no votes, but essentially, I think like, I mean, probably if you were going to 
poll like uh, the average American at that time, I'm sure like I'm sure it would be a majority of people would have been like, this is a good idea. You know, I mean, like, yes, yes. Right after 9-11, we're like, yeah, we'll share any information we want. to. Yeah, of course. We're like, get the terrorists who just did this to us. Sacrifice of freedom. Yeah. For safety, no, we like security. Yeah. And every time, like, some asshole complains to me about like stuff at the airport, I'm like, shut the fuck up! Like, I don't want to be blown up, and like, literally, no problem. But then there are issues because, like, you don't want people, certain people, being taken to back rooms, missing their flight, being strip searched, because that is the problem. Like, I, like when I start thinking about like reasonable expectations, I'm in, I'm okay with this. But the problem is that there are things that pull outside of the reasonable expectations or rights and you know, our freedoms are really being violated. And not even just ours, but I actually wrote this down too. Is I don't, do you guys watch the torture report? No. Or the okay. report, sorry, the report or whatever with Adam Driver. Mm-mm. What is that? Uh, um, so it was about essentially the sanctification of uh hang on maybe the cia or like other like intelligence american intelligence abroad essentially giving the go-ahead to torture possible terrorism suspects in order to get information that's yeah. kind of the best way to sum it up i don't know look at the imdb yeah. page for a better synopsis um so when they're coming out with trauma did did the FBI give them like a, a $25 gift card at Arby's or like what, what are they doing? They Who leave them in Guantanamo Bay and then they like <laughs> drop them back off into their other countries and they have yeah. like, you know, this, this is actually an issue too because they have released right? people who have been like tortured or held for extended periods of time. So it's like, what do you do with that? Like you now have the government sanctioned stuff and then you send them out back in the world. Like if you didn't hate the US before that, there's a few cases of that, by the way. But anyway, sorry, what were you saying about it? No, I mean, like I think it... it I remember because we watched that like a few weeks or months ago, um, kind of recently, but not like two weeks ago recently. And I just remembered it was just kind of a similar like fear driven, bad decision making um, where not only so like here at home, we're sacrificing, you know, verbally or, you know, they're basically taking an opportunity for people to sacrifice freedom and privacy and all those things in order for security and safety, especially like against like terrorism. And abroad, it also sort of broke down like ethics and morality in like what they were doing to people in order to, you know, essentially kind of a greater good narrative, right? Because it goes against the Constitution because we actually have rights in the U.S. against, you know, like, mm-hmm. cruel and unusual punishment, but then we're saying we're actually okaying torture in certain situations, which, how interesting that we're doing that. Yeah, you guys should watch the torture report. I'm totally gonna. I have it on my thing, and yeah. It's um, tough. It's uh, appalling. Yeah. It's disgusting. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah. But Adam Driver's in it, so that's I nice. know! I saw that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That's great. Um, wait, can I actually school you on something I know about fingerprints? That I wonder, okay. you know, I wonder if you know, Nikki. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know what I'm going to say? No, Do you know I'm what I'm just, gonna... like, annoyed that you're just, like, I'm going to school you. Um, well, I keep seeing this meme, so that's my source of this information that says, cool. A meme is your source of information. Yeah, it is. It is. It's actually, yeah, this is a direct quote from the APA format. <laughs> it's a meme from Instagram. I'll find a link for you guys, maybe. That koalas have the same fingerprints as humans, or very similar. <laughs> did you know that? Yeah, yeah they've got. Ah, yeah, they've got fiction. You did know that. Why did you yeah. know that? Also, some I don't remember exactly what species, but some like monkey species actually has friction ridges at the end of their tail for oh like. Oh my god! Really? Able to like swing, you know? Yeah, 
grip thing. Sorry, how did you know the koala thing? Is that just like a fingerprint person knowledge thing? Yeah. (laughs) Is it really? Is it really? (laughs) Do they teach that? Does that get covered sometimes? Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just like a, it's like a fun fact. It's kind of thrown in. Like, God, I need to find a fingerprint fun fact to like really throw you off. But fuck, I thought that was going to be it. No, the koala did it. I mean, that's what Mayfield should have said, right? Yeah, I was actually like, do we know of any Australian cases? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's great. I'm gone off the rails. Now, everybody, now all your listeners know. It's great. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, they probably knew that anyways, because I feel like true crime people. It's kind of like Victoria's boyfriend sent me and Victoria another meme that said, like, did you guys know that, like, you had to puncture lungs into or puncture holes into lungs of a dead body because otherwise, like, their lungs can fill up and that's, like, one of the reasons they can float? And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, like, I knew that dead bodies definitely float too much. Like, there were major issues with that if they're all intact. Yeah. And, like, Victoria. Yeah. I'm not sure that, like, puncturing the lungs no. is all you would no. have to do. No, the, all the gases in the body. I mean, I yeah. feel like there are so many things. Like, even I've heard yeah. about, like, bodies being tied down and, like, and coming up with, like, cement blocks still tied to them because they float so much. So I have heard that. See, this is why she's, like, one of my favorite people in the world. I'm Nikki, it up. No, I'm just like, no. get your chakras in a line. Can, stab, stab. Can, can, <laughs> I, can I tell you that, like, Nikki one time introduced me to her boss. And, like, they had been coming from some kind of thing. And they were like, oh, we had to, like, glove the person. And I'm like, Nikki, what does that mean? And she goes, um, well, that's when you have to cut, like, the, the skin off of the hand and put your hand inside the skin <laughs> like a glove. And, like, that's why Nikki is, that's, that's why Nikki wow. is my BFF because you have to take the prints that way because you can't give them. And I was like, oh. rarely, rarely. And that is so interesting. And I think, like, some people are like, huh. no, I don't want to hear that. And I was like, can you tell well, me about how often that's done? I, I think of Nicolas Cage in uh, National Treasure when he what? has a little um, champagne glass and he takes his little, like, sticky glove oh, and he, like, it's not true. It can't yeah. be true. Yeah. Okay. Like, Nikki, is that true? Can you tell us about that? Can we steal fingerprints from other? people wow i mean i mean that's a whole different like just come up with questions for her right now people have fabricated and there's been yeah i mean burning methods of being able to do it but i mean tape is no i mean tape the thing is you have to think about whether like the image is like reverse like a mirror image Uh so I don't know, that's, like, a whole thing. <laughs> both both oh. Victoria and I made little O's with our mouth going, what? Yeah. But, Victoria, if you burn off your fingerprints, the problem with that is that, like, who has burned off fingerprints? And then, that's like, would that thing. maybe come up? That's or would it look like a glove? Would it look like a glove had touched it? Probably not. Also, you'd have to do, like, your entire hand. Like, because there's palms. I mean, like, your palms have ridges, too. We can identify Let's palms. Let's fingerless gloves, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Take it totally. There you go. Burn exactly. your fingertips. But also, this is why are you just tight. using a full glove? Yeah, no. True. Wow, that was amazing. Okay, but I, like, I'm like, do we have any other rapid-fire questions for Nikki about fingerprinting? Also, oh, Nikki was one of the first people. Like, Nikki was the first person in real life who told me that bodies that have been set on fire smell like barbecue. So that's another thing, too. <laughs> okay, okay. I need to, like, preface this. I don't I don't work on the crime scene team at my agency, but um, I did have an internship at a medical examiner's office. So that's where some of this information comes from. So Wait, I, like, actually worked with dead bodies one summer, so... She literally did. Yeah. No, it wasn't a body farm. Mm. She was in no. when they did autopsies. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, tell me about the autopsy. And then he, <laughs> that's my true crime brain is like, that's so interesting. Everyone else is like, no, we don't want to hear about that. It makes us uncomfortable. I'm like, no, no. Uh-uh. Like, are we talking like Mongolian barbecue or like what kind of flavor? Like smokehouse barbecue? Uh, yeah, smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Charcoal. Oh All right. God. Yeah. Okay, so I know we went off on the thing. Are we wrapping up, or did you have any other facts or things that you wanted to let us know before? I, we- I have a little bit of wrap up. Um, okay. So I kind of mentioned the term confirmation bias earlier, um, and I think that kind of happened both on the investigative side of things and also the fingerprint. Like I was kind of saying, that circular reasoning is a little bit of confirmation bias and the refuse, the intense reluctance or refusal to. Sustain possibly address the error because they'd kind of maybe found out some of of that like extraneous information about Mayfield. So are you guys familiar with bias, right? Are we, are we familiar with bias? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like a, I mean, like a human, (laughs) human factor, like mental thinking processes and like psychology, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Words can, we are familiar with bias. Okay, well, just for the other listeners then. So from Wikipedia, the definition of a confirmation bias is the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, or recall information in a way that confirms with one's beliefs and giving disproportionately less attention to information that contradicts it. Um, So this contributes to overconfidence in personal beliefs and can maintain or strengthen beliefs in the face of contrary evidence. So kind of like I was saying, I think that the... As far as the forensic side of things and the latent fingerprint, you know, sort of, like, explaining away areas of the fingerprint. Like, there's this whole area of the print that, like, doesn't match up to Mayfield's at all. Um, And it should have been, like, a major red flag. But they essentially reasoned that they didn't notice it or it's not not in sequence because... Um, sorry. <laughs> in my text message. I did. Yeah, I was like, what are you sorry, about? I ruined the episode. No, <laughs> we have an episode, episode name. You do. Um. Oh shit. What's I'm I saying? so sorry. I fucked everything. No. Now I derailed your whole thing. Oh, so there's this whole area of the print that they kind of explained away as it being like kind of like another another tap or touch of the finger. Um, and essentially the Spanish National Police were like, nah, this is one touch. Like you can tell, like. You know, so again, kind of that like difference in argument of like what distortion is happening and but essentially like what's happening is like, you know, you're putting less attention on the stuff that contradicts your your belief is like if you already believe if you're starting to believe while you're doing the comparison that this is the print, if you see something that essentially contradicts what you're already thinking, then you're going to be like, "Mm, well, there's probably an explanation for that. And the same thing with the investigative part, you know, they're like, okay, he hasn't left the country. His, uh, his passport is expired. We're not finding anything actually related to Madrid, just kind of this extraneous stuff that seems to match up. And so instead of, you know, I mean, and it makes you wonder, like if, if he had been like the Maytag repairman, you know, like a random Christian dude, like, you know, who'd never been to a mosque, like, do you think the investigators would have come back to the lab and been like, um, are you sure that you've got the right person? No, but we like don't even have to wonder because they literally said, "Oh yeah, there yeah. was there was a little tiny bit of confirmation bias or whatever." Yeah. Like it kind of influenced us. But, yeah, I and mean, that's me. So it really didn't. They yeah. didn't see why. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that was just something to. That was something I just wanted to bring up really quick. Um, and that obviously happens in a lot of 
different cases that, um, you know, have errors or, you know, have, uh, people falsely accused or convicted. And, um, and it, it happens in like everyday interactions too, really. I mean, you know, but especially if you have this position of you're a forensic scientist, um, or you're an investigator, like you really have to make sure that you are taking steps to check your confirmation bias. I mean, it's a human thing. I mean, I'm not saying like, I mean, like, is it, it can have negative consequences, but it's just kind of like a natural thing. It can be a natural thing that our brains yes, sort we of try want to make to sense of the you world. Know, it's like it's we instinct. Try to, exactly. Yeah. We try and to so, make sense of our thoughts, our feelings, like... Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, it's this thing that happens, and I don't want to be like, this is an inherently bad thing. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure it always... I'm not sure if it's yeah. ever resulted in positive consequences, but, like, the thing is it can have very negative consequences. So I wanted to talk about that. And then just, so this... Kind of going back to the Patriot Act. So this OIG report found that the Patriot Act did not affect the decision to obtain the surveillance through FISA or the decision to grant it. Um, but it did affect the dissemination of intelligence info um, and allowed the government to share grand jury information with the intelligence community. So again, that communication wall that used to be up, like yeah. having that torn down, um, essentially amplified the consequences is essentially what they decided. So cool to be interested in. I'm and then not how sure. everything turns out. So I mentioned everybody was arrested in Spain. Yeah. Um, so 21 out of 20 defendants were found guilty on a range of charges. Two were each sentenced to more than 40,000 years in October 2017. Oh, <laughs> sucks to be you, bitches. Right. Like, Isn't that insane? I mean, like, yeah. I mean, after like 200, I mean, why are you counting? But anyway, two <laughs> people were sentenced to more than 40,000 years in prison. So, yeah. And then, yeah. so like, you know, a majority, 21 out of 28 defendants were found guilty. Um, it, this is in Spain. Um, in fact, if you're looking at the Wikipedia page for the Madrid attack, I mean, like Mayfield is just like a footnote. It's like a little link at the bottom. It's like yeah. also yeah. like related, but like the Spanish National Police. I mean, ultimately, the FBI didn't really help in this investigation at all. And really, it was just this huge mess over in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was almost going to say nothing. Up, and then I tried to just say <laughs> we got into a mess because that sounded nicer. Yeah. So October 2004, Mayfield's attorneys file a civil action against the FBI, DOJ, and several individuals. Um, and two years later, in November 2006, the U.S. settles um, a lawsuit with Mayfield for $2 million. Um, and then eventually Mayfield um, begins a legal challenge to the Patriot Act. And it was initially ruled in Mayfield's favor, but ultimately in 2009, it was uh, overturned. So that's kind of interesting. Very interesting. But he did, I mean... There was a formal apology, and the U.S. settled a lawsuit for $2 million. Good. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, his life, you know what I mean? Like, no one can Google him without, like, that being the first thing that comes up. So, yeah, you know, and just, like, also, like, I mean, having gone through, like, that fear of probably feeling paranoid, like, you're being followed or your house is being broken into, but there's no sign of really a break-in like nothing was taken you're like things feel different like I feel violated but I don't know how or why like you know I mean and his kids you know like I think at one time when they came into the house one of his kids was there and you know un unknowingly so like yeah that's why I mean it's still t super traumatic and was terrible and shouldn't have happened no absolutely um, not so and then so forensically uh, you know this is terrible right I mean it's kind of like infamous I guess but the good thing to come out of it is that a lot of, I think, positive things um, 
were started um, or were forced to start in the forensic community, especially fingerprints. So the FBI lab itself initiated several actions. They did an internal review of their policies and procedures and, you know, changed them. Um, a review of, they actually did a review of their previous IAFIS IDs um, from digital images to kind of look back and be like, did we make a mistake in any other cases? So I think that's, that's something to commend. I mean, not only, you I mean, you're like, oh yeah, okay, we made an error. You know, eventually they send the report out stating that Dawood is the source of the fingerprint, but then they're also like, did we fuck up in any other cases? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so that's something. They're not just like, oh, we're just going to put this error aside and kind of forget about everybody else. So that's something that I thought was great that happened. Um, corrective, corrective action, of course, was done with regards to the examiners involved. And um, they actually also did a monthly review of prisoners scheduled for capital punishment. Um who may have been convicted or sentenced based on FBI fingerprint IDs. So, like I said, they started to check the boxes a little bit more. Good. And um, also after this, more uh, scientific studies on the reliability of fingerprints came out. Um, The FBI itself actually um, was involved in a large um, study to determine how good fingerprint examiners are at, at our job and, how often we get it right. And so we can actually provide, you know, since I said like zero error rate is not possible. You can't say no, you, no, error rate, especially if you haven't tested it. So that's what they did is they were like, okay, let's test it. Let's test it. Um, and so now we've got some studies that uh, give an idea of how reliable and, and, and the results were like the fingerprint analysis in comparison is, is highly reliable. There is an error rate. Errors are, Errors are bound to happen in like any human endeavor. In life, but yeah. In life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's an error rate. It is very low. And, um, you know, then I think if you figure out how errors happen, you can hopefully do the work to prevent them happening in the future, which is good. So. And if uh, Nikki's on your case, like you're in major trouble because Nikki's error rate is super low in life um, pretty much <laughs> her entire time. Yeah. Nikki's always known for like having her shit together always, like pretty much since I've ever always known her. Yeah. Probably since you were born. Probably since I was born. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nikki is pretty perfect. Um, well, that was amazing. Uh, that was one of the, I think, the most interesting thing I've ever done in my life, probably. But um, we probably should wrap up and say thank you for being a guest. It was wonderful. I'm really it's excited. My to... honor. <laughs> I'm glad you're our first guest, too. Yeah. I was Joe's cool. first guest on his podcast, too. So I feel super cool. You should feel super cool. Hopefully, Joe will be on ours soon. And uh, yeah. yeah, you guys can meet Nikki's husband. Woo. Yeah. Thank you so much. You did an amazing job. Thanks. It was great to be here. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye.